remain standing in honor of God's word as we go to Matthew chapter number one, Matthew chapter number one, and we are continuing in our Christmas series, the Christmas story as you've never heard it before. Matthew chapter number one, beginning in verse number 18. The scripture says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Today, again, as we look at Christmas from a perspective that you may have never looked at it before, I want to speak to you from the subject, let God work it out. Don't try to fix it yourself. Let God work it out. Don't stay up all night worrying about it. Let God work it out. Don't try to manipulate the outcome. Let God work it out. Get out of the way and let God work it out. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he leads and guides and teaches us and helps transform us into the image of your dear son and our Lord and Savior. We pray in his name. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we come to the text, we find Joseph shocked. He is confused. He's he's hurt. He's disappointed, rightfully feeling betrayed, perhaps bitter, angry, and certainly upset. Mary has announced to him that she is pregnant and they have never known each other. Her explanation is she miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit and is carrying the Savior of the world in her womb. Joseph is filled with pain and confusion. All of his hopes of a bright future have suddenly come crashing down. He would have never thought that a young girl like Mary, so sweet, so devout, could betray him in such a foul manner. Incidentally, God's most amazing plans are discovered in the midst of I would have never thought moments in life. Joseph, I perceive, is glaring at Mary. How can you expect me to believe such a story pregnant? He shouts at her. He shuts his eyes, fighting back those thoughts that were filling his mind, that were screaming, denounce her, cast her aside, report her to the rabbi, have her stoned. Isn't it amazing that when we are hurt, we remember every part of the Bible that calls for justice. But when we are the ones who are doing the hurting, we remember every part of the Bible that calls for forgiveness. No, he cries out, putting his hands over his eyes. He opens his eyes. He looks at Mary in shock that she would 
look like she believes everything that she's saying. It was the most preposterous lie that anybody could ever concoct, and yet Mary didn't even blink, squirm, or stutter when she told him. How could she appear so sure of herself? Joseph is thinking, there's only one way women can conceive. But Joseph, with God, all things are possible. God! God, how could you bring God into this mess right now? And how arrogant anyway to think that God has chosen you out of all of the women on the planet to bear the Messiah. But Joseph, hasn't God always chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise? Think of it. God never chooses like man chooses. Foolish, foolish, that's what you think that I am. If you think I'm going to believe something like this, it goes against all logic. Have you ever been there before? Finding yourself suddenly stuck in a situation that makes no sense, has no easy answer, and it's not easy to get out of. If that's you, the word of the Lord to you today is, let God work it out. It's amazing how when we get in difficult situations in life, we feel that we need to fix it. We need to pull the strings, and we need to do this, and and we need to do that. And and only when we've exhausted all of our options do we usually turn to God. I feel like one of the best bits of advice that I could give you scripturally is let your first option be God. It's amazing to me how we have we have God in our corner. We have God on our side. The scripture tells us if God be for us, who can be against us? You know, that if God would not would give us his only begotten son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? We have God that is for us, God that is with us, God that is behind us, God that is in front of us, God that is beside us, and yet God remains our last option. But God's word to you today is let him work it out. And you can trust God to work it out. For a couple of reasons. Number one, because God is not surprised by your circumstances and he has already been at work. Even before you and I find ourselves in any situation that we are in that may surprise us, we can be confident that it has not surprised God and God has already been at work. For example, ever wonder why God chose Mary? I mean, why? Like, is it haphazard? Is it, is it random? You know, does God choose some people because he just likes them and other people because he don't. I mean, why, why did God choose Mary out of all of the women that are on the planet at that time to have the most important assignment ever given to a human being? Well, I believe that it was for a reason. And the reason shows us that God was at work even before Mary knew she was in this situation. The first reason is she was born in the right place. We know that she was living in Galilee in a very obscure town called Nazareth, population back then in Bible times of between 120 and 150 people in Jesus' time. I mean, imagine a whole town with 150 people in it. You talk about your business being known by everybody. Matter of fact, it was such an insignificant place, Nazareth, that in John chapter 1, verse number 46, the Bible tells us the people said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Truth is, It had to be Nazareth because that's where the prophecy about, that's what the prophecy about the Messiah said. Isaiah chapter 11 verse number one says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of its roots. He said to me, well, pastor, that doesn't say anything about Nazareth. Well, the word Nazareth literally means the branch of David. 
And Jesse was David's father, right? And so when it says a stem out of Jesse, it's literally talking about somebody from the lineage of David, somebody from royal lineage. And so it's referring to the shoot out of David because Nazareth is where a small branch of royals from the line of David was known to live. And check this out, Mary and her family were among them. A lot of times we think Mary came from this very, you know, poor, podunk, you know, barely get by type of family. Mary was of royal lineage. She was of the the, the offspring and the lineage of David. Hence why when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and in Luke, here's what he, he says. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God onto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. It had to be Nazareth. The Messiah had to be from the lineage of David. And since he would have no earthly father, it would stand the reason that Mary, the one that would be biologically related to Jesus, would have to be from the royal lineage of David. So the Messiah's blood would also be royal blood. What am I saying to you? God was at work in Mary's life even before Mary knew she would be in this situation. He was at work in every detail in her life, including who she was born to and where she lived. Every detail of your life. It's important. God is scripting even before you arrive at certain places. And the reason why you can trust God to work it out out is because God is already at work. Speaking, by the way, of who she was born to, she was born to the right people. That's the second reason why God chose Mary. Mary was born to Joachim and Anna, and this is also significant. Joy can belong to the royal lineage of David as well. And Anna was a descendant of the priestly family of Aaron. Thus, Jesus was born from both kingly and priestly lineage. And he is the king of kings. And he is our high priest. And from the hilltop of Nazareth, one can see this newly redeveloping city known as Sephorus that sat on the summit of a hilltop less than four miles away. And so this is actually the city, by the way, that Jesus was referring to in Matthew 5, 14, when he said a city that is on a hill cannot be hid. All throughout his time growing up, Jesus was looking at this bright shining city on a hill called Sephorus. Sephorus was the gleaming city that was the capital of Galilee. It was beautiful and sophisticated and so much so that the historian Josephus calls it the jewel of Galilee. In fact, this is where Herod Antipas built his opulent palace and where the fabulous synagogue and where the headquarter of the Sanhedrin was. It was in Sephorus. And by the way, if you don't know who Herod Antipas was, the Herod in the Christmas story is Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the father of Herod Antipas, and we'll talk about him later on in the series. But when Herod the Great passed away, his kingdom was divided amongst three of his sons. One of his sons was Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas vowed to put his palace in this city of Sephorus and really take it to the next level in every way. And it was also the place where the Sanhedrin headquartered, and because the Sanhedrin headquartered there, and there was this magnificent 
magnificent temple in Sephora's, it was also the place where the largest collection of scrolls, sacred scrolls, were kept. And it is believed that Mary's father, Joachim, was a scroll scholar heavily committed to a life that revolved around the word of God and who eventually moved his family from Nazareth to Sephora's. As a scroll scholar, Joachim taught his family that the most important thing was to believe, obey, and serve the Lord. One early source records that Mary was enrolled in a special school for girls near the temple grounds that was designated to train young girls in the scriptures. So we could see from Mary's life that God is already at work. He's working out the details even before she would find herself in that situation. God was at work in the parents that he gave her who taught her that the most important thing in life was to believe, obey, and serve the Lord. He was at work in the school that she was trained in. She was trained in a school that taught her to believe, obey, and serve the Lord with her life. And so when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary with a shocking and surprising announcement that was difficult to believe, Mary's response is not uncommon for somebody who's been trained like that. Look at what she says. Luke chapter 1 verse 38 Then Mary said, Behold the maid servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So here is this supernatural surreal announcement that is from another planet and Mary regularly surrenders to it. Matter of fact she says I am your maid servant. I am here to carry out my life is surrendered to God I am here to carry out whatever God wants me to do. Why could she say that? Because she was raised like that by her parents. Because she was trained like that in school. God was at work in Mary's life. Even down to the little details, being born in the right place, being born to the right parents. Parents, by the way, do not sleep on your responsibility to prepare your kids for the purpose of God. Parents are asleep today. Parents are checked out today. Just this week, three kids in our youth group came to us and said, look at these assignments I've been given in school. Right from local high schools here, one in Brookfield, one in Bethel. I said, Pastor, look at this. I have to write a paper on why the Genesis account is wrong. Another particular kid, I have to write a paper on uh, having sympathy for the devil. They're reading some book called, like, kind of like, um, I don't know, something about evil. The, 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 I forgot the name of it. I guess I should have remembered it. The, 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 uh, in essence, having sympathy for the devil. These are what kids are being shown in their school. Another kid having to write a paper on why all identities are okay. This is what's happening. And parents are asleep. And it's fine if you can't afford to or you don't want to send your kids into a Christian place so they're not going to have to deal with those things and their mind get tweaked and so on. But when your kid has those assignments, what are you doing about it? Are you stepping up? Are you going to the school? Are you talking to the principal? Are you saying, my kid can't be doing this kind of stuff? And if the principal says, sorry, that's the assignment, are you ready to ratchet up to the next level? Just like the world would do when we try to infringe our Christian rights on them, when they try to infringe their demonic rights on us, speak up! 
And parents take it so cavalier. The responsibility that we have to train our kids. We are the most important influencing agents in the life of our children. Training them for the purpose for which God has assigned them on the earth. And the biggest message that they should get from us is your life is all about obeying and serving God. And fulfilling his purpose for your life. That should be the biggest takeaway that your kids get when they live in your home. And God was at work. He was at work in Mary, the place that she lived, the the parents that she had. Number three, she qualified for because of the right prophecy. The Messiah had to be born of a virgin. To be a virgin was a sign that one is sold out, set apart, and committed to God. In other words, Mary believed if you like it, you got to put a ring on it. Come on, somebody say amen. People say, well, why did God choose to come into the world in such unspectacular fashion? If I were God, you know, I would have come with thunder and I would have come with lightning and I would have come riding on a cloud with a lasso and, you know, and all this kind of pomp and circumstance. Why did God come in such unspectacular fashion? Oh, but he did. But he did. He came into the womb. Are you kidding me? Into the womb of a virgin. This is a miracle of all miracles. He changed forms. God morphed from his glory in heaven that no one could behold. And he showed up supernaturally in a virgin's womb. If that isn't big time, I don't know what is. John says it like this. John thought it was such big time. He opened up his gospel with it. He said, and the word The eternal God, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the one who eternally existed, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, the one through whom all things were created, became flesh, became human, became a virgin, so that we could behold him, so that we could see him. This was the miracle of incarnation. In God, he fashioned him himself into the womb of a virgin. Mary was prophetically qualified to be the right candidate because she was sexually pure. I don't have time to talk about this, but I can't just skip over it. Oh, how much we give up when we become sexually impure. We don't realize it because it dogs so many It's a battle the vast majority of people have to deal with. And it has been pumped into us as it's just normal and it's just okay and it's just everybody struggles with it and so on and so forth. But we don't realize what we give up when we remain sexually, uh, uh, when we become sexually impure. Mary qualified because she was a virgin. Had she slept with somebody, she would have missed out on the assignment of Almighty God. And I don't say that as somebody to put my nose down at some at anybody who's involved. When I was a teenager, I'll never forget how God spoke to me about this very important area in life. I remember the girl that I was with, she was late. And I was I was so into, I couldn't believe it. I said, "Oh no. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no." I was like 16. Which is crazy when I think about it now that I'm 51. 16, what are we doing? 
right? But you don't know what you don't know until you get older, right? It's amazing how mature 16-year-olds think they are until they become 51, and then they're just babies, right? And I remember, I pick up a piece of paper on the printer in my mother's office, and in the middle of the page, no other words on it, it says, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is giving. And, and, and I just swallowed my... I, I mean, it was just... A, I said, dear God, no. And then, thank God, nothing happened. But my life wasn't ruined simply because I didn't get busted. It didn't work out negatively in that situation. But think of how my life could have altered in that one particular moment. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace that keeps us and that gives us other opportunity and second chance. And that's why we never look down on anybody that's struggling with these things. But at the same time, we have to realize we often give up so much. I can tell you I may not have been here today had the mercy of God not carried me through that situation. Because more than likely the way I was raised, I would have probably married that girl. And if I married that girl, I would have never married my wife. If I never met my wife, I would have never been at this church. One move can change your destiny. Mary was qualified because she fulfilled the right prophecy. She was sexually pure. God was already at work in her life. He was preparing her because of the pledge to keep herself for God and for her husband. And then also she was, she was qualified because she chose the right spouse. God was not only at work in preparing Mary. He was at work in preparing Joseph. Joseph was a fantastic guy. He was the kind of guy that Mary needed for this assignment. He was faithful in business and successful. We all know that Joseph was also of the house and lineage of David. The Bible tells us that. But the Bible also says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, in relation to speaking of who Jesus was, it says, is this not the carpenter's son? And I find it interesting that doesn't say is not this a carpenter's son. But rather in the original language, the definite article, carpenter's son. And when we think of a carpenter, we think of a woodworker. And indeed, this word that is used in the original language can mean a woodworking carpenter. But it doesn't really mean that. It's not its greatest meaning of this verse. And in Joseph's case, it more than likely did not apply to Joseph, a woodworking carpenter. It's the Greek word tekton, and it literally means a stone artisan. Somebody who cannot just make masterpieces out of stone. But somebody who can look and envision and then from the envisioning process create what they envision on a large scale with, with palaces and with temple construction and so on and so forth. And so Joseph wasn't just a woodworking carpenter. Joseph was a master artisan when it came to stone who was in charge of probably huge projects, building palaces and temples and so on and so forth. And Joseph was not just known as a carpenter, but he was known as the carpenter. He was the one that everybody went to when they needed something to be done on this kind of grand scale. And so why did he live in Nazareth? Nazareth was a small village, 
houses, by the way, in that area were not built with wood. They were built with stone. In Nazareth, there wasn't a lot of wood. In that region, there wasn't a lot of wood to be building with. So why did he live in Nazareth? Well, Nazareth was four miles from Sephoris. And what was Sephoris? Sephoris was the capital region. Sephoris was where everything that was grand was being built. And so more than likely, most people believe that Joseph indeed lived in Nazareth because he could walk to Sephoris where he worked and was probably handsomely compensated for what he did. And so this is no chump. This is no slouch. This is nobody who God is, you know, picking off the trash heap. A lot of times we think that we need reclamation projects when it comes to choosing our spouse. But I want you to know that God would not entrust true treasure, the true treasure of the Messiah to somebody who had not proven themselves to be faithful in business and in finance. And so here is Joseph, a very, very successful man. And it's interesting to me that Jesus was also known as the carpenter. Mark chapter 6, verse number 3. Is not this, or is this not the carpenter, now talking about Jesus, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended on him. And so Jesus got this skill of being a master artisan passed down from his earthly father, Joseph, to himself. And this is a perfect description of who Jesus was. Jesus is a maker of masterpieces, isn't he? From the very beginning when he created the sun, moon, and stars, what did he do? He created a masterpiece, didn't he? And then he came to this earth and he worked with his hands in stone and created masterpieces. And then after his death, burial, and resurrection, he still create, continues to create masterpieces. Who are they? That's you and I. Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 10 tells us we are God's masterpieces created in Christ Jesus so that we could do good works that he has prepared for us long ago. Jesus is the master artisan. And that's what he was when he walked this earth. The Bible really never speaks to it directly. But if I had to bet dollars to donuts, I would tell you Jesus was not broke. I mean, think about the whole culture in that area. The whole culture in that area was to excel. That's always been one of the ways of the Jewish culture, to do well in business, so on and so forth. Could you imagine Jesus trying his hand at stuff and failing? Oh, sorry, Jesus, this skill is really not for you. You know, try something else. No, I see Jesus as being the best of the best of the best, but he got this skill from Joseph, and Joseph was responsible, faithful, highly skilled. He was the right man, and God knew it. God was already at work in preparing Mary's husband. He wasn't just faithful there, but he was content. He was also uh, uh, preparing Joseph because he was committed to honoring God sexually. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother mother was betrothed to Joseph, behold, they came together, and she was found before they came together, and she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. During the betrothal period or the engagement period, a spouse couples were engaged for one year. By the way, one of the, and forgive me if you broke this mold, one of the stupidest things that people could do is rush into marriage. It's one of the stupidest things that people can do. 
And the reason why it's stupid is because you don't know nobody. You know, can I just tell you all something? The way people behave the first three months is not necessarily who they are. Everybody can behave on their best behavior when they're supposed to. For instance, church people on Sunday. Praise the Lord, Pastor. You know, everything, how you doing? Everything fine. And then you look and you see some of these things on Facebook and they're crazy. They're like, what, what are y'all, what are y'all fronting for? I thought, I thought this is who you are. I thought you were Sunday Joe. I didn't know you were Monday through Saturday Joe. What's going on? It's not who you are. You front on me. You wearing some kind of mask on the weekend. Come out, come out, wherever you are. And so they were engaged for a year, right? And during that year, um, while they were engaged, they, they prepared for marriage and they remain sexually pure. And during that period, Mary relocated from Sephoris to Nazareth where she lived with Joseph's family for a year as was the tradition of the day. And yet she's there because of the tradition of the day and yet Joseph never attempts to violate her not even once. He remained sexually pure. This is so rare. But God gave this kind of man to Mary. You can trust God to work it out because God's already been at work. And number three, Joseph was the right person because he was merciful and kind. Joseph finds out after holding out. Can you imagine this? Joseph's holding out. I'm sure it wasn't that easy, by the way. Just because somebody makes the right choice doesn't mean the right choice is not easy. I'm sure there were a few nights where Joseph had to walk outside and get some air and just be like, God, you need to help me with this right now. But after he commits himself to remaining sexually pure, verse number 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, this is still during the betrothal period, not wanting to make a public example out of her, was minded to put her away privately. The, holy, the angel had not yet appeared to Joseph. Joseph didn't get confirmation that Mary was telling the truth. But yet Joseph is at his lowest moment. Joseph is at a moment where his emotions are raging. Joseph is at a moment where he justifiably seems to have every reason to be enraged and to feel betrayed and so on and so forth. And yet in that moment, here's how Joseph acts. Joseph acts with dignity. Joseph acts with kindness. Joseph acts with mercy and compassion. You don't know anybody until you see them under pressure. The real them comes out. Under pressure. And under pressure, Joseph was kind and Joseph was merciful. He didn't want to make a public example out of her. He could. In Bible days, he could go tell the priest, go tell the rabbi. He could, he could put it all out there. Mary could be defamed. He could have had her publicly stoned to death. If he lived during our time, you know he would have been putting her business up on Facebook. Because all of the chooches in the world, they think, well, I'm just going to get people back because I'm going to put their stuff up on Facebook. So immature. And yet Christians do it all the time. But Joseph wasn't living during these times he was living then. And he didn't follow what they said was culturally acceptable because he wanted to spare her. He truly loved her. He cared more about her than he did his own reputation. Your spouse, listen to me. Your spouse is one of the most important determinations of your destiny in all of the world. I have seen too many people abort their destiny because they settled for a spouse that they knew was not the right fit. 
Come on, it's getting quiet in here. Don't look at your spouse like that right now. It's too late. You're already married. They abort their destiny because they settle because you see it. Listen, what you see during the betrothal period, what you see come out, that's them. Can people change? Yes. But listen to me. It ain't your job to change people. Don't look for a reclamation project. Look for somebody who's already regenerated in Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm also not talking about somebody who's got a long way to go. It could ruin your destiny. The greatest thing that ever happened to me outside of Jesus was my wife, Lisa. The greatest thing. Perfect for my destiny. I didn't need somebody who was going to be a career woman. Thank God for career women. I, I didn't need somebody who needed the, 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 the limelight. I didn't need somebody who wasn't going to make sure that everything at home, there was no pressure. I needed somebody who was just the opposite of those things. I needed somebody who was okay being the cheerleader. I needed somebody who was okay to be in the background. I needed somebody who said, you know what, you take care of the house of God, and I'll make sure everything out here is just the way it needs to be, so that when you walk home, there's not additional pressure. That's who I needed, and the greatest thing, I believe with all my heart that God picked her for me, and thank God I was smart enough to choose her because when I first met her you know what I said I said you're too good for me I'll make you rotten you ain't never been with a guy like me before the best thing in your life as it pertains to your destiny is the spouse that you pick and you know what God was preparing God was at work in the life of Mary number two second reason why you can trust God to work it out. He'll speak to who he needs to speak to. So here's Joseph. He's shocked. He's stunned. He's angry. He's bitter. He's feeling betrayed, but never acting like, but, but never acting unlike a man of God. Even when life and circumstances gave him every reason to, because how many of you know you can't always control what happens to you, but you can always control what comes out of you? Can I just tell you what God ain't buying? God ain't buying. Well, they made me do it. God ain't buying it. Can I tell you why God ain't buying it? You remember what Adam said to God? He said, well, the woman you gave me. But yet we come into the New Testament. You know, it says sin entered the world. It said through one man's sin. God ain't buying it. I don't care what you think they made you do or didn't make you do or so on and so forth. You're your own person. You have self-control. You have the Holy Spirit of God working on the inside of you. You are responsible for you. And Joseph knew that he could control himself. Joseph acts with kindness and mercy. And Mary is left trusting God to work it out. And lo and behold, the angel Gabriel shows up to Joseph in his moment of pain. But while he thought about these things, should I put her away? Should I make a public example? Should I put her away? Should I make a public? How is this going to ruin my life? But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. I love the fact that the angel calls Joseph by name in the middle of Joseph's pain. In the middle of a season of life where Joseph could have thought God had forgotten about him, God made sure that Joseph knew, Joseph, I've seen everything. 
Don't look at what it looks like, Joseph. I know it looks like dis- disappointment, but it's destiny. I know it looks like betrayal, but it's blessing. I know it looks like pain, but it's purpose. I know it looks like trial, but it's your testimony. I know it looks like you've been forgotten, but I want you to know I have foreknown you ever since you were in the womb of your mother and before that. And notice Joseph's response. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife and did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. He obeyed what God had spoken. Some people get excited about hearing the voice of God. You're only halfway home. Some people, I see it all the time, they get spiritual goosebumps in church. They're like, Pastor, that's a good word, Pastor. Oh my God, Pastor, good word. That's nice. You're halfway there. God spoke to you. But are you now going to do what God said? So he heard God. But then immediately after hearing God, he begins to put, listen, when God gives you an instruction, right? Reason is not required. But obedience is. Because sometimes God will ask you to do things that will shock you. And if you try to think it through, you won't necessarily do what God said to do. But just do it. Just do it. Just do it. God sees the beginning from the end. But this is the kind of man that Joseph was. And God needed this kind of man who would obey the voice of God. Because there would be moments in the Christmas story where Joseph would have to hear the voice of God and respond instantaneously in order to navigate and guide Mary and Jesus to the place of their destiny. This is the type of person that he was. God worked it out by speaking to who he needed to speak to. Listen to me, child of God. You don't need to make sure you cover all your bases. You don't need to try to make everyone understand. You don't have to do all the convincing. You just need to stand still and see the salvation of God. You need to trust that God is working it out. If God needs to get somebody on board, God will bring that person on board. And guess what, too? If God needs to get somebody on off board, God will get that person off board. You don't need to be in everybody's business. You don't need to be the fix-it man or the fix-it woman. You just need to trust that God is working it out. Number three, and lastly today, you can trust God to work it out because God will move what he needs to move. So here are Mary and Joseph. They are now in lockstep. As you might recall from last week, now the only part of the plan that has to come to pass is God's got to get them to Bethlehem. They're in Nazareth. Bethlehem's 90 miles away. Mary is great with child. So how's God going to do it? Remember what God does? God puts the whole Roman Empire on the move. He uses a governor and he uses taxes. Two things that people hate. I want to tell you, God can use anything. It doesn't matter what in the world you, God will use whatever God has got to use. So he puts the whole world on the move through a census so that the government can collect taxes. And lo and behold, guess where Joseph is from? Joseph is from Bethlehem. Why did God pick Joseph? Because God was working it out even before Mary knew she had a problem. And so they go to Bethlehem and the whole Roman Empire moves. So Mary and Joseph could get to where they were. Can I tell you why you could trust God? 
to work it out because God will move whatever he needs to move and God will get you wherever you need to be. He will move people out of your way that are standing in your way. He will move laws and government and taxes out of the way. He will move oceans out of the way. You remember the Red Sea. He will move giants out of the way. You remember Goliath. He will move crowds out of the way. You remember the woman with the issue of blood. He will move structures out of the way. You remember the walls of Jericho. He will move whatever. He'll move you if you need to be moved. Remember Joseph. He went from a pit to a prison only so he could get to the palace because that was his destiny. You remember Jonah. Jonah went into the ocean, into a whale's belly so God can spit him up on the shores of Nineveh. God will move whatever God needs to move to get you to the place that you need to be to fulfill your destiny if you are committed to serving the Lord with your life. God's the master mover. And the greatest move that God ever made was that God, when God moved himself. Look at it, John chapter 1, verse number 14. The word became flesh and blood. And I love this. This is the message version. And moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. John pointed him out and called and said, this is the one. The word became flesh. God changed forms from divinity to humanity, from spirit to body, from glory that no one could behold to the glory that mere men were able to see. God became a man. But here's the phrase that I love. He moved into the neighborhood. God's the master mover. From the throne in heaven to the womb of a woman, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, from above the sapphire sill of heaven to where the shepherds kept their sheep, from majesty to a manger, from creator to creation, from perfection to pedestrian, God moved not just people or angels or circumstances or the Roman Empire, but God moved himself. Why? Because God was moved. God was moved with a love that is from another planet. A love that caused him to lay down his life for us. God moved from heaven to earth because his will is so that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And that's what the Christmas story is all about. It's all about God moving because God was on a mission. Would you stand to your feet with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you came from heaven to earth to show us the way from the earth to the cross our debt to pay from the cross to the grave from the grave to the sky Lord we lift your name on high Christmas is about God being the master mover and the thing that he wants to move more than anything else is he wants to move your heart from being far away from God to being in right relationship with God from being eternally lost to eternally saved, from being bound by your sin to freed from your sin,
and the penalty for your sin. But you must surrender your heart. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you have never relinquished your heart to Jesus. You've never surrendered your life. You've never said, Lord Jesus, I need you to forgive me of all my sins. And I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. If you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you're watching online, if you're watching at one of our locations, and today you want to surrender your life to Jesus, right where you are, just hold your hands up to him so we can pray for you. God bless you, young lady. Hold your hands up to him if you want to surrender your life to Jesus and never have, and you don't know if you're right with him. I want to pray for you. God bless you. That's wonderful. You can put your hands down. Let's say this prayer together, everyone praying at the same time. The greatest, most miraculous prayer that you can ever pray is this one right now, and it's the simplest. Would you say this out loud with me, especially you who are watching at home as well? Say this out loud all together. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I repent of my sins, and I ask you to forgive me as I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.